0: Awesome, so you're at Exodus chapter 34. I, just a reminder where this is, God is unchanging. We've already looked at the first two uh, attributes of God that he is compassionate or that he has merciful, right? That God's bent towards humanity is compassion and that he's a feeling God, he's a relational God, he's a God who is moved uh, on, moved by people. He is moved by people. He's unchanging in his character, but he is moved, Okay. He is moved. Um, He is compassionate. He is merciful. He is gracious. In fact, it says, remember, we looked at that God actually delights in giving grace. Like it's, he just loves it. He loves giving grace to people. And that is amazing. It's vital to know what God is like in order to know how to relate with him. In order to also know how to approach him or even that you can approach him. And have a relationship with God. So we read this, the Lord, the Lord, in Exodus 34, 6, a God merciful and gracious, we looked at those two, slow to anger. Today we're at slow to anger. It goes on to say abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We're going to look at all these pieces. But for, t- for today, we are camping out on the fact that God is slow to anger, And now this is a little bit of a different piece. So God was merciful. God is, no, God is merciful. God is gracious. And then we have, it's almost like a negative here where God isn't something. or Well, he is something. He's angry, but he's slow to anger. It's a little bit different, right? God can get angry, but it takes him a very long time. And so as we enter into this discussion today um, on God being slow to anger, we acknowledge that God does get angry at times. Uh, if you have been in the church for any amount of time, especially if you're in church leadership, for any amount of time, this question comes up with people. What about God's anger? Has anybody ever had a hard time figuring out how God's love and anger works together. Honestly, let's be honest here. Okay, goodness gracious, like five of you. Great! (laughs) You're just all lying this morning. No, it's hard for us to grasp, isn't it? It's hard for us to grasp because what we think of when we think of anger is we think of human anger, and we think of human responses, and we think of the twisted, distorted way that we view anger, Um, many people view anger as a flying off the handle of a losing of control. And with God, it's not that way. We're going to unpack that a little bit. Uh, With me, it is that way, unfortunately. Uh, When's the last time you were angry? Think about it. When's the last time you were angry? Yesterday, honest, thank you. When's the last time you're angry? I'm. I was guessing. I was being gracious. You said yesterday. I was thinking. I'm calling out everybody. Probably sometime this week. Probably sometime this week. You were angry. I was angry. Did you regret that anger at some point this week as well? Often our anger is regrettable. Oh, I'm sorry. My anger is regrettable. God's isn't. We can't look at God through the lens of our anger. That's all I'm trying to say here this morning. Oh, that got me this morning. Thank you. Why do I have to stand up in front of you? <laughs> um, my anger can be so misplaced, but God's anger is not. And God is very 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 patient with his anger. God's anger is an expression. It's a reaction. It's being in relationship with us people. And as any relationship, we have emotions and things stir us, and God is relational in that way, and God's anger is an expression both of his justice and his love towards humanity, okay? It's a combination, it's an expression of his justice, like there is there is a moral breaking down somewhere that he must confront, but it's also his love to not leave people in that place, because it was never his good plan and creation originally. So if we're going to understand God's anger, we just need to erase everything <laughs> from our past. Now, I grew up, I grew up where, like, we had people, you know that turn of phrase, you have a short fuse. Like, the Frasers have a short fuse. Like, we have the we have the Scottish, like, if there's injustice, like, boom, look out. Like, I'm a fighter, okay? Like, naturally, it is just in me to fight. Uh, Seth, Um. My oldest, I think he's teaching Sunday school right now, so it's safe to share this story. Um, um, Seth, his um, one time, I was coming out of the out of the shower, out of the shower, coming out of the bathroom, and he was hiding around the corner in the closet, and he jumped out to scare me. The last time he'll ever scare me, because I'm a fighter. Like there's no ah, there's just boom. <laughs> 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 he's done. My kids don't scare me. (laughs) Um, Don't tell anybody. Uh, My kid still says, yeah, my dad hit me once. Doesn't count. It wasn't, uh, anyways, backtracking from there. Um, Our anger is often quick, and our, our fight is often quick, and not so with God. God is incredibly patient. In the King James Version, I really like how they draw this out, this slow to anger. If any anybody here have the KJV with them today? No? Okay. It means, yeah, okay, good. Long suffering. Oh, on your phone. <laughs> uh, it, it's translated, slow to anger is translated long suffering. Like God is will for a long time suffer, and He suffers through basically allowing us to destroy ourselves and, and dishonor him. He will put up for a long time in hopes that there a rescue and a repentance happens. Um, this, is, this is the heart of God. Um, so is God slow to anger? We need to look at the biblical account and erase again our, our human tendencies. To anger, we must look at what the Bible says about God and how He responds in anger. God gets angry in the Bible, and that's a problem for lots of people. Uh, God is also grieved in the Bible as well. God is not just angry, smiting sinners, as some people might think of Him from the scripture, and He's not also just some peace loving hippie that just lets everything go. Because that wouldn't be loving either. God is perfectly balanced in all he does. So, where this verse is placed in the Bible tells us actually a lot about how God is slow to anger. God tells us those warm fuzzies. He's gracious, he's compassionate, he delights in those things. And then he tells them that he's slow to anger. And that's exactly what God has been up to this point with the Hebrew people. God has been incredibly slow to anger with the Hebrew people. So when Adam and Eve, we got to go back to creation here. We're going we're gonna to look at how God has responded to humans. So we go back to the beginning with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, do you have a perspective that God was angry and kicked them out of the garden, many of us would probably kind of go that way because I think I would be pretty ticked and kick people out if they did something like that. It doesn't say anything about God getting angry there. Did you know that? God, It doesn't say anything about God getting angry in that space. No, what happened is they chose to disobey his order. God created the world and he put them in the garden where it was good, and they had access to the tree of life. And they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they disobeyed his order and his rule and his right way of living in creation. And so after he creates the world, they choose to not live under his rule in this ordered world. And instead they experience death and they experience decay that their own disordered lives bring about. And God allows that and, and makes that to happen. God makes that to happen. That's, that's what the wages of sin are, is death. That is the, that is the due for, for sin, is death. So the creator, he made all things, the word tells us. He sustains all things by the word of his power, and when we sin, we reject his rule and his reign. And we, in essence, are saying, I don't want to stay under your sustaining. In essence, he hands us over to our own demise. And that that language is really intentional. He hands us over, okay? God hands people over to their own sin and their own destruction, okay? Not to say, that God doesn't also get involved with that, okay? God is does bring destruction, yet he hands people over. He He's not just out to destroy. He hands people over. This plays out time and time again in scripture. So that's what happened to Adam and Eve. Uh, so God's not mentioned as angry there. Often people then, they're like, okay, So then Adam and Eve and then their kids and it's a big mess and people continue in sin and it gets so bad and and we have Babel, right? And, And then we have the story of Noah. And certainly, we think of Noah, and I know we think of this, is people got so bad on the earth, they were so dishonoring to God that he just couldn't handle it anymore and he wiped them out. Would that be a common understanding of kind of what happened at the flood? What's, what's amazing is that we need to read Genesis chapter 6 and this account. This is this, at the story of Noah when God was sending a flood. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. He regretted even doing it. He was grieved. Nothing in the, and yes, I checked out the Hebrew, nothing in the Hebrew would say that God was angry at this point. He was grieved over the destruction of these people and the ways that they were living. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, And birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And so, what happens here is God is grieved and he is sorry about this and he is bringing a judgment, okay? And when we think of judgment, oftentimes we think of God's judgment and God's anger being together as one, but that's not the case biblically. When we think of God's judgment and we think of God's anger, often, I'm going to say it again, we think of them as one thing. God's angry, so he's judging, right? That's not the biblical narrative here. God is judging and he's handing people over, but he's not angry even. He's grieved in this moment. Are you following? Evil and injustice got so out of hand, and God intervened and it grieved him. He had to make a judgment. And he is just, and it grieved him, but he wasn't even angry in that. So we need to separate. It's not always separate in the scripture, but many times God's anger and God's judgment, they aren't they aren't synonyms. Okay. Really important for us. It grieved him. This is a, a big theme, and this is a whole other series. But there is a theme throughout the book of Genesis and throughout um, Exodus as well uh, and and the theme is is roughly uh, can I do this in 2 minutes? Yes. is the de- decreation decreation when god created the earth There were waters above and there were waters below and he separated them and he made land and he made the earth and he put living creatures and things on it and then it got to man who was supposed to rule and subdue the earth, be fruitful and multiply. So this was the beginning of creation where there's waters that God separated to bring life to, right? And so that is the creation story and then Adam and Eve then in their sin are cast out into the wilderness, into the wild, where death and decay ruins God's good creation. And it starts to deteriorate. And it deteriorated to the point where God makes a judgment and brings what? Covers the whole earth again, the waters, right? And he's starting over with Noah. There is one righteous man, Noah, and he's starting over. And it's this decreation that gets to the point where God's starting over again. It's, it's fascinating as, uh, yeah, I don't have time. We're going to study that eventually. Um, when you look at the Hebrew patterns and the imagery that happens with the waters engulfing and, a, and a, the decreation leads to God restarting again, um, starting over, giving humanity the, the, the end of their rebellion. There were dead bodies, yes, absolutely, And yes, God enacted it. And there's mystery in this because we can't grasp it fully. Let's just acknowledge that. But ultimately, this was the result of human rejection of his will and his ways and his good order in creation. That's what it was. God is not far. He is moved with emotion towards people. He was grieved. He was grieved by their choices. That's a good thing. You want a God who judges, but you also have a God who loves and allows us to destroy ourselves, which is awful, but good, all at the same time. It's a messy thing. It's a relationship with an eternally holy being. So we've looked at where God isn't angry. The first mention of God being angry in the Bible is at Moses. You might be surprised. It's actually the first place where it tells us explicitly that God was angry was with Moses and it's in Exodus chapter 4 uh, Moses was receiving the word from the Lord at the burning bush it says I've heard the cry of my people I'm sending you to go back to Egypt to deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh who is oppressing them who is just, Pharaoh was like the evil of evil in the days he committed genocide against the firstborns of the hebrew people he was he had enslaved them and oppressed them he was a terrible 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 leader like he was evil and injustice at its core and so moses was told to go back to egypt five times in exodus chapter 3 five times you read moses saying mm, i'm not going to go mm, i I'm not good enough. What am I going to do? Uh, if I go, or this is where we get the I am from. If I go, who who am I going to tell them even sent me in the first place? I can't even talk, God. I'm, I'm not an eloquent speaker, so I can't go. And God's working with them, and God's working with them, and God's working with them. And Moses is like stubbornly resisting God's call to go back to Egypt and deliver people. And he's being really stubborn. And Five times he argued, and then we read this after this long suffering of God, after this talking with Moses through all his complaints. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. That's the first time in Scripture that we read of God's anger towards someone. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. So God's anger is kindled against Moses. If you translate it, it literally means God's nose burned hot. That's what the Hebrew, that's what Eric Apayim, which is God's nose burned hot. It's like, you know that feeling, right? You get red in the face. God was mad at Moses. What, come on. And we read here that God is angry with Moses. But what is God's response out of that anger? Does he smite Moses on the spot? Actually, no, he, he, he actually concedes to Moses. <laughs> Even still, he says, uh, the anger of the Lord is there, but he still gives him Aaron to speak for him. The long-suffering patience of God. So he feels this anger because he's relating with someone if any of you have any relationships do any of you have any relationships where you think it would be good if they were never angry at anything just think about that like we actually <clears throat> it's we actually need anger we need anger against injustice and wrong don't we yeah but god he doesn't <clears throat> <clears throat> smite Moses. He works with Moses and gives him Aaron to be his mouthpiece. He tells Moses, okay, I'm going to talk to you. You tell Aaron what to say, and then Aaron can say it. Like, God is just so patient. But he's so calculated. He's so calm. And then the next time we see God get angry is in Exodus chapter 15. We have this recounting of what happened after as the uh, Hebrews left Exodus. And, um, I think it's 15, verse 7. I should have written this down. Is it not on the screen? No. Exodus 15, verse 7. So, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Nope, that's not the right verse. Oh, next one. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. God had a hot nose. Remember? At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. This was speaking about when the Egyptians were trying to follow uh, the Hebrews over the Red Sea. at At God's anger against the Egyptians, his hot nose, the waters, triggering back to earlier in the message. Remember, like 10 minutes ago? The waters... So the waters piled up in God's anger and the Egyptians go into this place and what happens? The Egyptians are swept away in the waters. They reap the end of their injustice and their corruption and in God's anger, he does judge them in that moment. And so God is angry at Pharaoh and he's angry at Egypt but do you remember how many plagues he sent? Ten. He sent ten plagues to Pharaoh in order that he would let people go. So Moses got five tries, and Pharaoh, like evil Pharaoh, gets ten tries, and then he resists God till his firstborn is taken. And it's in this that we see, yes, God's judgment and anger. And then the next time we see God's anger, we get to where we are camped out in in the Exodus at or at the Israelites at Mount Sinai. So we're tracking. If you've missed the series so far, you just got to go back and listen on the podcast or something. We get to the story where God is revealing this Exodus 34 6, this verse about his character. And we have Exodus chapter through we, 32 through 32, we have the story of the golden calf. So right after they make this Israel makes this covenant with God and they receive his commandments and his law. They they in essence tell Moses to go back up there and tell him, Yeah, we're all in. They make this golden calf to and worship this golden calf, like immediately breaking this covenant with God. And God has invested in his covenant people, at a deeper level, okay? God is invested in his covenant people. So when he gets angry throughout scripture, most of the time we see it, it is anger at the people he is most invested and in deep relationship with. You tracking? So they make this golden calf, and this is what we see in Exodus chapter 32, verses nine to 14. I'm just gonna, gonna read this. They made this, and they were worshiping this golden calf. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath or anger may burn hot. Remember, his nose is burning hot. That my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I make a great nation of you. So he's angry and he wants to start over with Moses. But, in verse 11, Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Of bringing on his people. The Lord relented from bringing on disaster. He was burning, his nose was burning hot. He was very angry at these people he just made a covenant with, and they broke that covenant immediately. He was angry. He wanted to start over with Moses, but Moses intercedes. Moses makes intercession. And we see that this God, though his character is unchanging, is very tied to his relationship with humans. He is moved to grief. He is moved to anger. He is moved by our prayers. And so he relents from his anger ending in the place of destruction and judgment because of Moses' interceding. That's some foreshadowing for us. Put that in the back of your mind for a few minutes from now. The story of Israel goes from there to be a story of them rebelling against God. Like, if anybody thinks that, like, this ancient Hebrew text that we dig into every week that has stood for thousands and thousands of years was just some sort of ploy to make these people look good like they had the one true God? It's not the case. They look horrible throughout scripture. But God, God is amazing, and God is always good. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. So God's covenant people that he invested in when we continue to read the scripture and we continue to see the times where God gets most angry, it is at his covenant people. It's at those people that he has deep relationship with, right? Now, if someone were to do something to one of my, my children, my wrath, my anger would burn hotter than it would be to some disconnected person, right? Right? Maybe you're more holy and think that wouldn't be the case, but that's not the case. We are more passionate about the people we're most close to, right? And God is covenanted with Israel, and he is passionate. And when they break covenant with him, it breaks his heart. He calls them adulterers. It breaks his heart, but it also angers him at the injustice and the corruption and the horrible things that they were doing, worshiping the other countries' gods, worshiping gods of other nations. So Israel was choosing other nations. They were choosing evil. Then what does God do? He hands them over. Those other nations come, and they wreak havoc on them. He hands them over. You guys tracking? I'm leaving so many little Easter eggs to come back to. It's just the only way to do this today. Sorry. Sorry. Um, You really got to be paying attention. God hands them over. Not only that, though, as they cry out, like as they come to their senses and cry out, God is moved by compassion and grace and makes a rescue. So he's really, really, really slow to anger. And when it gets to the point where judgment has to come, judgment comes. We bring this, let's take it home. We bring this upon ourselves. Israel brought it upon themselves. But we cry out and God is moved by compassion and grace and makes a rescue. Paul in the New Testament draws this out for us amazingly clear. Uh, Flip to Romans 1. I'm gonna have to go a little quickly through this here today. Remember when I said God hands you over to the evil that we desire? Let's read this together. From 18, we're gonna read... Uh, all the way through to the end of the chapter in Romans chapter one. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we're talking about the anger of God here, right? The wrath of God, so we're paying attention. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. You know, often we think we know best and it leads to destruction. Isn't that the case? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and iPhones and all those weird things. Therefore, God gave them up, there it is, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, there it is again, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. God gives up humanity to our own depravity and the end is death and every form of evil. God is so slow to anger. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all would come to Christ and find life. But he gives us up. And we decreate God's good intention of creation. We read this, but then we read Just the next little chunk here, Romans chapter 2. We'll start at verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. The judgment rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's patient, God's slow to anger; He is so waiting for you to repent. He just want, He's just waiting so long, long suffering for repentance. But here it says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed folks there is coming a day where God's anger and judgment will be revealed in the last days when Christ returns and after he reigns for his thousand years there is going to be a final judgment and God's intense patience will come to a close and there will be eternal judgment and there will be a hell for those who God has handed over to their own depravity. He's so patient. I want to tell you this morning, you're breathing God's not angry with you when you come to him in repentance. When you belong to him, when He's when you're his child, he's not mad at you. He's not mad at you this morning. Jesus, let's bring it back to Jesus. Jesus showed us the heart and character of God perfectly, right? He did. Of course he did. Did Jesus ever get angry? We love that story. He's flipping tables, those dirty, rotten money changers. We, there's two, two things that people don't like: It's people that take advantage of the poor and rich people. Okay. We love that story. Just get out of here. <laughs> but he often called out the religious leaders of the day with harsh words. Like He wasn't polite always. His anger was directed at his own covenant people that were blatantly and unrepentantly going against his will. That's where his anger is directed. And yet, even in that, we have some tender words of Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only (laughs) you would know I'm willing to gather you as a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings. This is all a part of how God feels towards, towards them. Jesus... Jesus takes upon himself. See, this is where it comes. God's judgment and God's justice and God's love and compassion. Jesus takes in himself the injustice. Jesus takes in himself the hurt, the anguish, the punishment that is due all of us. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he takes care of that. He takes it all he takes it all. His life, death, and resurrection is God's anger at injustice and sin and his love perfectly put together. That's, that's Jesus. That's what he came for. That we would be made right and that we would encounter a God who is near. That we would encounter a God who gives forgiveness even though we don't deserve it. That we would encounter a God who gives grace, even though we don't deserve it. That he is compassionate and gracious, slow to angry, so patient. He should have destroyed me a long time ago. And even in in my continuing to need to come back to him and apologize for things, I can come back and just feel like a worm, but he always speaks life into my heart. Because he's so good. And he's so forgiving. You remember how Moses interceded? Do you remember that? Moses interceded and God changed his mind. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Praise the Lord. Jesus is interceding for us. He's taking the gap for us. And just a little bit down the road from what we read about Moses, he says, actually, God, if you need to take my life, take my life instead and keep the Israelites going. Moses was a foreshadow of the perfect one, Jesus, who is now in our place taking the punishment that we deserve, that the curse of sin was upon him. And he reversed it. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, come to me and find life. (laughs) That's our God. He is just and loving, slow to anger. I love him for all of that. So Jesus intercedes for us. Let's bow our heads. We're going to enter into a time of communion here right away. And uh, before we do, if you feel like you have had too much junk in your life and you feel like if you come to God, he's just going to be angry at you, the word says that's not true. God says that's not true. Come to him right now, today, and receive his forgiveness and repentance. He welcomes you. He delights to show you grace. He has compassion on you. Don't end up at that final place of judgment experiencing the anger that that is due us, but instead come to Jesus the great intercessor and receive that forgiveness and that right relationship. Lord, Lord, you hand us over. And its destruction. But Holy Spirit birth in us a heart of flesh.